Hey everyone, it's been a while. Thank you all for tuning in to King of Our Nightmares, episode 5, where we talk about Stephen King's first collected set of short stories, Night Shift from 1977. There we go. What is this called in German? It's actually translated, Night Shift. Really? Yeah. A rare case. Those of you who haven't um, really tuned in to this before, um, well, first of all, this didn't record. Let's re-record the beginning. <laughs> didn't record? It says it records here. Did it? Uh, yeah. It, on my end, it says live since 50 seconds. Oh, it only has 34, 35 seconds on my end. Oh, Lord. I moved, and I moved to a place where I have to have not very good internet. It's the only internet available. So basically, you moved to Germany? No, it's not quite that bad. It's not quite that bad. But there, it isn't high-speed internet. It's like medium speed. I'm drinking a White Claw. It's the only alcohol I'll allow myself during this. Oh, that's crispy. You ever had a White Claw before? No. It's the white girl drink of America. It's basically a LaCroix with a hint of alcohol. Hmm. Not Noah's thing. No. Germans don't drink seltzers. Hard seltzers. Are you kidding me? Noah drinks water that looks phallic. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to Night Shift. Um... Uh, the thing with Night Shift is most of these were published in magazines throughout the 70s. One of these, the second story in this, is Stephen King's first ever published work. At least published fiction work, I should say. Um, if you read the Carey in, uh, introduction, he says that Night Shift was his first work of fiction that he published. Oh. Not Night Shift, Graveyard Shift. Grave... Um, which we'll get to that. Um, but we're going to go through each story, talk about it very briefly, because a lot of these are really short. And um, also because I read this book a couple of months ago, and then we had like, our problems, we didn't record, yeah. and here we and, are. And I just finished it yesterday. So this is this is going to be fun. Yes. So let's start with Jerusalem's Lot, which was one of the few works in Night Shift that was not published before this. Mm -hmm. um, it's a prequel to Salem's Lot, kind of. Yeah, emphasis on kind of. Um, it's really weird. It's back in the eight. It takes place in eighteen fifty. A uh, man moves into his estranged family member, his estranged cousin's house, and there are weird things going on, especially with the town of Jerusalem's lot. And it is told through letters. That's like the big thing. It's kind of a nod, in my opinion, to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh yeah, definitely. It it reads like a classical horror, like a little, you know, homage, I would say. 
I will say this is the perfect placement. Like part the thing with like books that are comprised of novellas and short stories, you need to place them in a certain order to have like a good flow. And starting mm-hmm. with Jerusalem's Lot, I think, is the best choice of all these. It's really creepy. It's very it's the most atmospheric, I think, of all of these. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I, I think it's one of the best stories in here, in my opinion. It's one of my favorite of his novellas, which is weird because I don't like this style of writing typically. Mm. Because in our time, I when I was reviewing for like Encyclopocalypse and stuff, you know, you get there's a lot of first person stuff that's in like all genres, not just Encyclopocalypse, but in general, it's I mean Hunger Games, a famous YA series is all first person. And in my opinion, it's a lazy way of writing. It takes a lot to make first person compelling. I mean, read I Jedi, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Most not compelling book ever. At least first person wise. Um, but like oh, well. things like Jerusalem's Lot, it's really compelling. It's creepy. And it's well worth your time. Would you uh, now Noah wrote ratings for these? I'm not going to rate them. I will just recommend them or not recommend them. Yeah. So I just rate them like to remind myself because I read them so long ago. Yes. Jerusalem's lot. I gave a five out of five. Like, mm-hmm. definitely, it's definitely probably the best story in here. I might I might change this if I if we get to a better one. I, I think it's one of the best. Um, it definitely in the top five for this. Absolutely. Which that and, top side will fluctuate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think we need to stress this before we move on. The story is called Jerusalem's Lot. There is a village, place, town called Jerusalem's Lot. It's not necessarily Salem's Lot. Yes. The book. Yeah, because it makes... There are things that are confusing about it. Yeah. But this isn't the only Salem's Lot connection we've talked about this when we reviewed salem's lot but we'll get to that one mm-hmm. all right moving on to graveyard shift which was released in october 1970 for cavalier magazine it was stephen king's first published works published fiction works that is that wasn't like porn because he did have to write some erotic things to make money But Graveyard Shift is about some people that work at a rundown mill. The foreman's a jerk. He's awful. And they're having to clean out work in the Graveyard Shift, working overtime because they're not being paid well anyway. Not a union-based job. They make that apparent. Um, The conditions are horrible. And there are all sorts of rats and bats. And they're trying to clean them out. And the rats and bats are attacking them. And yeah. uh, there are really all sorts of weird rats and bats. Yeah, uh, because once they find a, let's call it a secret cellar, kind of. Yes. And they go downstairs and they see, yeah, they, they might have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate Graveyard Shift as his one of his first works. I don't like it. Ooh. I don't it's it's fun. 
uh, compared to some other things in here, it's not terrible. I'm just not a big fan of it. Hmm. I didn't like the ending, though. Oh, yeah. I won't spoil the ending. I thought it was perfect. Um, we should say Graveyard Shift was made into a movie for some reason in the late 80s, early 90s. A terrible movie. Except for there is this funky song that plays at the end where the only lyrics are the graveyard shift. And it's like this funky beat. It's so weird. Um, it's not It's not really like the short story at all. Hmm. Um, I mean, that that's a common theme. Especially with these short story movies. Oh, yeah. And we should mention mo a good chunk of these have the out like they've been made into movies. Like Jerusalem's Lot, I think this was recently. They made it into like a, a streaming series called Chapel White. Oh, did they? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, and we need to make we need to check this at the end. How many exactly have been turned into movies or whatever? It's over half. Definitely. Not all of them are feature films. We should make that clear. Most oh, yeah. of them aren't features. Um, but what did you rate Graveyard Shift? Graveyard, I gave it a 5 out of 5. With the caveat of I rated it as like being just a nice, solid little fun horror story. Because it's, it sounds like it wasn't anything special. No, but it to me it was like perfect in what it was trying to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Next, we move to Night Surf. Oh boy! Actually, predates Graveyard Shift. Uh, so uh, this is spring of '69 for uh, Ubris, which is a magazine I've never heard of. This is the one, The Stand Story. Yes. Awful. Mm -hmm. um, it's about the world's shittiest teens, or they're college students. They kill someone and they hate one another, and one of them's got Captain Trips. That's it. There's nothing to it. Very skippable. Yes. Isn't like the only thing I remember isn't like the main character isn't it like first person and the main guy um hates his girlfriend because she's yeah. like fat or something she's getting fat even though it's the end of the world and there aren't that many of people left and they burn someone alive did he did that guy have captain trips yes uh, yeah okay okay I remember. and they use the term captain trips which i thought was interesting i thought this was a tie-in for the stand, it's not. Really? Well, I mean, it is, but it wasn't written to promote the stand because I thought it was unpublished. Oh, okay, because as, I, as far as I understand, this was like a deleted chapter, hmm. so to speak, like he threw it I, out of the manuscript at some point. That's fine. I mean, well, I'm re um, I just started listening to the stand complete uncut. Mm -hmm. And, um, which I've never read. You've read it before. I've never. Yeah. I haven't come across it yet, but I'm not. I'm only two hours into the thing out of 47 hours. So. Yeah, that, that one's going to take a while. Yeah, we'll see. 
Um, so what did you rate Night Surf? What were your overall thoughts on it? I gave it one out of five. And I think the only reason I gave it one point was because, like, oh, uh, the stand tie-in. At least that's interesting. Oh, yeah. But nothing for the story itself. It's very much like... Yeah. Not good. It's just, dumb. Yeah, just not it's... good. Moving on to I Am The Doorway, which came out in March 1971 for Cavalier Magazine. Uh, we have a guy who went to space and he may or may not be controlled by aliens. He he becomes a paraplegic and he has to bandage his, his hands because he they see through his hands. Um and he they've made him kill someone and he's telling his story to his friend. And that's pretty much the story. I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. It was creepy. It was uncomfortable. It was upsetting. Um, I would agree. I don't know if this has been made into anything. I don't think so. I wouldn't be surprised if we'd see it in uh, Creep Show, the series. Let me actually check because now I'm curious. But yeah, I think this story is pretty good, like you said. Pretty creative, and I like the like visual image mm-hmm. of should we spoil it like actual eyes in his hands i mean the cover if you read this you can actually think get this by itself and that's the cover the hand with eyeballs in it okay has been made into a dollar baby yep uh, made by giuliano dinocca hmm. in 2006 okay so yeah got an adaptation Okay. I've not seen it, so I can't we cannot I don't you haven't seen it either. Mm-hmm. So we haven't we cannot talk about that one so much. Anyway, let where did you rate it again? Um four out of five. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Next we move on to something we've joked about before. If not not maybe not on King of Our Nightmares, but we've joked about the movies this has spawned off on other streams. Yes. We're going to talk about The Mangler, which came out in Cavalier Magazine, December of 1972, which is about a possessed cotton gin, basically. It's a it's a piece of um, like fabric equipment, um, and it's a cop investigating it. That's about it. It's it's it's, it's the exorc- is the exorcist if if instead of a little girl a, a mangler was possessed by a demon. And it's, it's dumb. It's ridiculous. It's played straight, unfortunately. Which it yeah, should which, be. which I was curious about because obviously I've read this before. I went back into it thinking maybe it will be funnier because, because Gregor plays it humorous stuff in it mm-hmm. for being a downer because all of these this is something we should just say off the get we should have said this in the beginning none of these stories end well i think only one kind of ends well mm-hmm. but it's ambiguous of whether it will stay well 
If that and I'll I'll explain that. Maybe I won't explain that. I don't think I should. Um, but this spawned three movies. I I think it's a trilogy. Yeah, the first one has Robert England. Yes, and it's directed by Toby Hooper, mm. and it's awful. It's got weird, gross visuals in it. So if you're into like some gore and stuff from the '90s, it's got you covered there. And but other than that, it's not good. And then there's sequels, which I've never seen, but I think you've seen at least one of the sequels. Um, I haven't seen it completely, parts of it, and they are not good. Yeah, I just checked. It's uh, The Mangler 2 and The Mangler Reborn. Which came out in, like, 2010, right? Uh, let me check. Oh, no, Mangler Reborn isn't a sequel. It's a remake, apparently. 2005. Okay. So, yeah. Why? Out of all things, remake The Mangler. Yeah. It's not scary. It's just weird. And dumb. The ending. It's the mangler like walking through the streets. <laughs> a piece of a giant piece of equipment. That's alive and demonic. And th- okay, we need to mention this. The short story, like you said, treats it seriously. The detective guy is investigating and they learn. The reason the mangler is alive is because a bat flew into it and got crushed and a virgin like cut her finger and some blood dripped into it. And a woman's pills that had horse hoof in them for her heartburn fell in. These all happened, like almost simultaneously this all happened. Yeah. It is so stupid. Um, I don't recommend it. It's not as bad as Night Surf. No, but because it, at least this isn't boring. No, that's true. And at least the the detective character isn't. He's not unlikable. He's fine. Uh, would you rank this <laughs> one out of five? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> oh Lord! Uh, yeah, perfectly skippable. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we move on to the Boogeyman, which came out. in Cavalier, March 1973. Uh, Dude keeps having his children get killed by something in the closet. And he's an a-hole. He's just... He's terrible. It's almost laughable how awful he is. Yep. And, like, he's, like, so macho and stuff. Like, treats his wife like trash. Um, and it's obvious King is trying to do something here, but I don't know if it works because of the ending to the story. Yeah, he's going to see a therapist and he tells about the boogeyman that eats his babies, basically. Well, I think there are like three when they die. Yeah, I, I think it like snaps their, their necks or something. Yeah. It's bizarre. Um, the ending is really weird. That doesn't make any sense. I called it because the story wasn't really going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you rank this? I gave it, let me check, 
two out of five. Yeah, it's better than the Mangler, I will say. And it's better than Night Surf. It's interesting. He's mm -hmm. so awful that it makes it interesting. Like, he's such a turd of a human being mm -hmm. that it's fascinating to read his perspective. Um, next, we move on to Gray Matter, which has the Boogeyman been made? <laughs> well, I know there's Boogeyman movies that are have nothing to do with this. Let me check. Uh, oh, a dollar baby from 1982, uh, directed by Jeff Shiro. Okay, never seen it. Mm -hmm. Uh, shall we move on to the next one? Oh, wait, there was a remake of it in 2010. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's go on to Grey Matter, which came out in Cavalier Magazine, October of 1973. Most of these are going to come out of Cavalier. Spoilers. Um... This is a child goes to a convenience store where some people are hanging out, some older people are hanging out, and he tells them that his dad's turned into some sort of monster thing that only wants to drink beer, and the people go to the house. And it's exactly what you expect. This sort of got... It got it's in the pilot episode of Creepshow, the series... Which it's done a lot better in that. Like, mainly because Adrian Barbeau is the, the wife and she has a bigger role. And it's just like there's less characters that are like going into the, the house and it works better. Yeah. Um, as it stands now, I think Gray Matter is fine. It's gross and weird. It's not the greatest thing, it's not the worst. It's fine in my book. Yeah, that's why I gave it a 3 out of 5. It's perfectly fine. Yeah, and it fits perfectly for Night Shift as like a middle story. Oh, yeah. Um, moving on. Battleground, which came out in Cavalier September of 1972. Dude comes back to his uh, pres the presidential sleep, his like big flat he lives in. He gets a package. It's a bunch of sentient army men. Mm -hmm. And they proceed to attack him. And the reason is, this guy is a hitman. And he had just murdered, like, a toy manufacturer. And, and personally, 5 out of 5. I think this might be better than Jerusalem's lot. This is goofy and kind of comedic, but it's done right. Uh, yes, it works perfectly. This was adapted in the pilot episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes the series from the early to mid 2000s. Uh, let me check. Or it might have been the 90s. Oh, 2006? Yeah, I remember this was a TNT show. Um, yep. But most of the stories that were in. The Nightmares and Dreamscapes series aren't from Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I guess this is from Night Shift. Um, 
but Nightmares and Dreamscapes is like the best title of any of his sh- collections of stories, in my opinion. So that's the one to to name a show after. Hmm. Bizarre of Bad Dreams is close in terms of the title. Yeah. I mean, I also like If It Bleeds. Hmm. And Night Shift's fine, too. Like, they're all fine. It's just Nightmares and Dreamscapes is, is a cool title. Um. Anyway, what am I... What was I going to say? Um... I love it. I love it a lot. It's not my favorite, but it is one. It's in my top five. I was so excited to watch the. To I even watched the episode because you can find the episode on YouTube. Is it good? It's fine. It's actually got incredible effects for TV at the time. That's good. It's enjoyable. Um, I prefer Creep Show series over Nightmares and Dreamscapes series. Because uh, creep show their morality tales, um, but yeah, battleground I think is pretty solid. Moving on to trucks, which oh, I saw down was in Skeleton Crew, but no, it's in it's in this. This came out in Cavalier, June of nineteen seventy three. You all know it as Maximum Overdrive, the one attempt Stephen King tried to direct one of his works which is an absolute disaster with a fantastic soundtrack by ACDC. Um, <laughs> trucks is about uh, sentient trucks that have taken over this gas station and are forcing people to pump gas into them. Okay, next short story. I think it works. Really? I think it works. Um, <laughs> it's not great. But I like it more than the movie. But the movie, I think, it is a guilty pleasure thing. This kind of yeah. worked with the horror. And it felt a very early Bachman to me. Hmm. I'm glad it's not longer. The fact he thought, ah, oh, trucks can be 90 minutes. No, no, it can't. I don't even think it could be 60. Imagine a maximum overdrive novelization. You know, I talked to someone about that, but okay. Um, but anyway, this is interesting. You like so you like it. I do like it. You don't like it. No, because it's trucks. It, it is. It's hard to. It was very hard for me to not think about maximum overdrive while reading it. Um. But what if you can get that out that movie, that stupid movie out of your head? I think it's a it's not a great short story. It works for me, though. It's weird, it's uncomfy. Um and the ending? The ending works for me too. Um, if it's the theme of this collection. Okay. Um, what did you rate it? One out of five. I knew it. I will say it's uh, more entertaining to read than like uh, Night Surf. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, let's move on to Sometimes They Come Back, which came out in Cavalier, March of 1974. 
an English teacher gets a job. He's like a new English teacher. He gets a job at a school. Uh, he likes all of his classes, but one, he has like some, the, the rough kids, the, the delinquent kids. And they keep dying and being replaced by bullies from his childhood that killed his brother. Um, it was borderline bad. Ooh, really? Um, some of it works. Some of it's generally creepy. The ending for me was not satisfying. Yeah. That's why I have to ding it. And there's like tacked on demon things, which doesn't work for me either. Mm -hmm. Um, the first half of it, I think is solid. The buildup. Uh, the nightmares, but like it doesn't doesn't quite work. Plus, the the cat's murdered. You know, I don't like that. Yeah, well, it worked for me more. Definitely, I I definitely do agree. Like the ending is the weakest part. Yes, but everything leading up to it, I think, works well. I really mm -hmm. enjoyed it. But yeah, the ending, it's just without. Spoilering it too much, it's just sudden demon occult stuff being yes. done by our hero to like defeat the villains, and it's it feels like it comes out of nowhere. Yes, and that's the biggest problem I have with it. Mm. It feels like when when Stephen King will often say that his stories go bust. This feels like. A carry situation where it went bust for him, and Tabitha pulled it out of the trash and said, "Ah, oh, you can make it work." But this time it didn't quite work. Um, it's it's close, close to working, but it it almost it almost works for me. This was made into a movie in the nineties. Mm -hmm. I've never I've seen clips of it for this video. Yeah. I'm looking at it. Yeah, 1991, and it got a sequel. Oh, it got. Oh wait, it got. Oh no, two sequels! It's a trilogy. Oh no. Apparently, the third film takes place in. And Antarctica. Oh my god. Oh, that's stupid. Anyway. Oh. Uh, what did you rate this? I gave it a four out of five. With the one, it's closer to a three out of five than a five out of five because, yeah, the ending really brings it down for me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Next, Strawberry Spring from Ubris, fall of 1968. So, this is the oldest of all these stories. Hmm. Um, there's a serial killer killing women on this college campus. It's told from the first per, uh, first person perspective from a male college student, and that's all I will say about it because you need to read it. Um, it's works. It works really well. It's creepy. I if you've read a lot of horror, I think you'll see the twist coming, but. Yeah. It's still solid with that being said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, this is one that was interesting because when I first read Night Shift, 
I think I I left some of the, some of the stories out. Yeah. Because I don't remember reading Strawberry Spring before. So this that was a nice surprise on this reread. Um and I agree it's a very very good story but like you said I could see the twist coming at a certain point. Which brings it down a little bit but highly recommend still. And I would say it's a 4 out of 5. Okay. I recommend it too. It's one of the stronger bo- stories than this. And now let me check about a movie. Yeah, I know there's a student film of this. Yes, 2001. Okay. Um, so next we move on to The Ledge, which came out in Penthouse Magazine, July of 1976. A tennis player with a checkered past is caught cheating on I think he's a he's a crime boss. He's been banging the crime boss's wife, and the crime boss says, okay, I put a bunch of heroin in your car. You'll go to prison for life, or we can have you go, uh, you can walk out onto the ledge of this building, walk around the whole building, and come back, and we'll remove the heroin from your car and give you a certain amount of cash. If this sounds familiar, it's because it's in Cat's Eye. If you've ever seen that Stephen King movie, it's three different shorts in it. Um, it's the best of the three in Cat's Eye, in my opinion. It's the most memorable. What were the other two stories again? Reuters Inc., which is also from this. Oh, right. There. And I can't remember the third. The third's not from Night Shift. Is it... Um... Because it's it's called Cat's Eye. Is it the cat from hell? No. Okay, let me... I can't remember what it's called. I think it's from Skeleton Crew, though. But... Hmm. Not 100% sure. Which Cat's Eye is most well known for having Drew Barrymore in it. And a cat that fights a weird goblin thing to save Drew Barrymore. <laughs> Which there's, they tie in a cat to all three of these stories. Which kind of works and kind of doesn't. It works best with the ledge. Because I think the cat has a cameo in the film. Oh, okay. So apparently the story is called The General. And it seems to be original. Oh. Okay. Hmm. Um... Let's see. Uh, what did you think of this one? I think this one was fun. Very fun. Um, yeah, I did too. I did like the ending. Yes. But one criticism I have seen that I can agree with, you will like this. The first person perspective, in this case, is kind of a problem. How so? Because the whole, you know, suspense comes from the fact, okay, we f- we are following this guy. He's in this life-threatening situation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's from his POV, so we already know that he's definitely going to survive this. Yeah, fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. There, there's a certain thing here. Sometimes it works in this. The ending works. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Really well for the first part, have, having it in first person. Um, 
I think I enjoy it. It's a solid read. Mm -hmm. It's worth your time. Definitely. Uh, my rating was a 4 out of 5. The next one's not worth your time. The Lawnmower Man <laughs> from Cavalier, May 1975. When, it, when a dude hires a kid to mow his lawn and they accidentally run over a cat, can't get anyone to mow his lawn. So he hires a lawn mowing service that isn't quite what it seems. Mm -hmm. And yes, this was made into a movie called The Lawnmower Man. Um, that is a weird computer movie. There are no computers in The Lawnmower Man short. They just nope. used the title, and I think they used a character name. That's it. This story is terrible. Yes, on every single level. It's so dumb. I think it's supposed to be dumb. Yes, but... Then it's it kind of dumb. fails. Mm -hmm. I think because it's it, it it doesn't leave me as a reader with anything. Yes, like I wasn't like it wasn't fascinatingly bad and dumb or like interestingly. It was just like, okay, why did I read this? Like, what is the point? Yes. I mean, I, I mean, the only thing I remember from it is like the visual of like the naked fat guy eating the freshly mown law like okay i'm going to address the chat so typically with king of our nightmares we don't address the chat until the end um so we we i do see you're there don't think you're being ignored we'll talk to you all at the end of this but we try to get all of the reviewing out so we don't get especially in this case where there's a bunch of different stories to talk about. We'll we'll get to you guys. Don't worry. We have to focus. Yes, and I appreciate appreciate you all watching live. It, it does mean a lot to us, especially since this is so late at night for most of you, except for Noah. It's the morning. Yeah, the sun's come up <laughs> since we started. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. What did you rate, Lawnmower Man? One out of five. I yeah. didn't give it a zero, but it was close. Next, we move on to a story that was previously unpublished, but was also in Cat's Eye. Quitters, Inc. Um, dude wants... A dude meets a long-lost friend of his or co-worker or something like that, and he says, at an airport, he says, wow, you look great. And the guy's like, yeah, I quit smoking. And I used Quitter's Ink, and he gives him the card. A few months later, he says, well, I'll give it a shot. And this nonprofit of uh, Quitter's Ink is the most extreme way to quit smoking. That's all I will say about it. It's disturbing. <laughs> I'll tell you what. The first half of this, I did not like. This is one of the longer stories. I did not like it. But the second half, it just grew on me. Hmm. And it was the most edge of your seat, edge of my seat that I was the whole time reading Night Shift. I was reading Quitter's Inc. Um, it works for me. It's a bit of a slow burn. He's kind of an annoying character. Um, he's very cynical. 
And yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I won't say any more from that. If you've seen Cat's Eye, you've seen um uh that um uh, sorry, I just lost my trail of thought. <laughs> if you've seen uh Cat's Eye, you know what this is about, pretty mm -hmm. much. Yeah. What do you think, Noah? I can only agree, except I I I I also liked like the first half of the story. I liked it in its entirety. Yeah, I think in future readings this will grow on me more. Mm -hmm. It was just a little long compared to. I was also reeling from the lawnmower man still. So yeah, that's quite a whiplash. Yeah. Next, we move on to I know what you need, which came out in. Cosmopolitan, September of 1976. A girl studying for her sociology exam. She needs a really high grade to keep her scholarship. She meets a boy in the library who offers her to take her out for ice cream because he knows exactly what she wants. She says, I can't. I have to study. He's like, here you go. I took this class before. And the guy never changes the exam. And so he gives her his answers, and she studies them. She gets an an ninety seven percent on the exam. They become friends. They eventually become lovers. But he's not all that he seems. Um, and I won't say any more than of that because this is a pretty good read. Um, very interesting. Very different. You could take this a certain way, and I think nowadays King would take this in a direction that it would be kind of cringy. But this is classic young Stephen King here. And it's something that normally wouldn't be creepy. Well, it would be a little creepy, but he takes it to an extreme, but not quite the absolute extreme, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. It, it, yeah. it doesn't go into full-on sex pervert territory with this, which this could have very well gone to. But, like I've said before, King only gets sex perverty around the 400-page mark, typically. Yeah, I can only agree this is a great little story. Mm -hmm. That was another uh, pleasant surprise. And... I guess it's kind of similar with um, Sometimes They Come Back. This, without spoiling, has some stuff at the end, uh -huh. a twist, which in this case works better because, uh -huh. like, you can tell there is build-up. Like, not there as direct, signs. but you can tell there is something going on. Uh, there are signs of the twist, though. Yeah. And you look back, you're like, oh, that's that's weird. I, I kind of remembered this one, so it was nice to see them all of the... It, it's very rereadable, is what I'm getting at. You'll get something more out of it the second time around. Um, but anyway, where do you rate this one? Uh, I gave this one a 4 out of 5. Same with uh, Quitters Inc., which we haven't... Uh, said it. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. But right. both of them, four or five, really solid. 
And this has been made into several student films. I think one came out a couple of years ago that I happened to watch where they gender swap them, which was an interesting take on it. Oh, yeah. So that sounds interesting. That's a new sort of new level to it. Next, we move on to one of the big ones for this one. This came out March 1977 in Penthouse. Children of the Corn, also known as the most pointless horror franchise. I'll take it one step further. The most pointless franchise that has ever existed. I, I still can't believe that we have to call it a franchise at this well, point. Well, they keep making them. Yeah, and no one's watching him. No one's watching Children of the Corn. More people watch Puppet Master than Children of the Corn, because Did at you least know, there's weird puppets to look at at Puppet Master. Have you ever know? I, I think early this year there was another one coming out, or maybe yeah, late we, last year. It's talked about this like a while ago, but yeah, yeah, there, there's another Children of the Corn movie. I think there's like 10 of them. Yeah, ten some are sequels, them. some are remakes, and they are so under the radar, you can't even keep track of them all. Well, because they're straight to Redbox at this point. I don't even know. The first one got a theatrical release, I think. Yeah, the first one was like trying to be like a legit movie, and it had like Which it's not Linda Hamilton. Movie. It had like Linda Hamilton in it and like real actors. Yeah, that's right. She's in it, but it's not a good movie. Uh, we should explain what Children of the Corn is for those of you who don't know. A couple's driving through Nebraska, going to California. They hate one another, and they accidentally run over a child that was thrown out in the road. Which is a horrible way to start things. And the wife is insufferable. The husband's an asshole. He actually slaps her at one point, and I was almost for it. And I'm not into spousal abuse. But God, she's awful. She's awful. He's slightly less awful. Um, he's a Vietnam vet. Um, and they find out that the kid's throat has been slashed. Awkwardly, and that's why the kid was still alive when they ran him over. They take, they wrap up the body in a sleeping bag. They take it to a town. They find out that the town has no adults anymore, and children are running it that are worshiping some sort of thing in, in um, the cornfields. In the cornfields, mm -hmm. and it works. Yep, it works really well. I made it sound stupid. Because the premise is dumb, but this is one of those times where Stephen King can write something that's compelling that's just the dumbest thing. Like, Christine, a killer car, is a dumb premise. Am I not wrong there? No, it's really dumb. But Christine, the novel, works for the most part. When we get to Christine, we'll talk about what doesn't work in Christine. Oh, yeah. Christine's a very peculiar book, but some of it works. Um, but I I really like Children of the Court. It's one of the longer stories in here. Mm -hmm. It has a good build. And it stays just long enough to be creepy and impactful. Absolutely. This is another one I would saw I would say is like perfectly executed. What he wanted to do. And I gave this a 5 out of 5 actually. It's, yeah, it's, it's up there. 
It's in the top five for this this series, this uh, collection. But, but still, just because we are praising the short story, rightfully so, the movie franchise. There is no justification. We have to talk about it. It's, to it's use so this basis. story as a basis for 15 movies. Is it probably 15 more? Now? Probably more. It's probably more. I mean, they don't number them anymore, so and we we can't. I can't tell you how many of them. I do know that Children of the Corn Six was Children of the Corn Six Six Six, which mm. that's so cringy. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, and... let me check. Oh my. Okay, I'm on the Stephen King, the German Wikipedia for uh, for King, which I actually yeah. helped write stuff. They stopped at movie number 10, which was 2016. So there's basically like five more movies since then. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on to The Last Rung on the Ladder, which is another one that wasn't published before this. A man and his father are coming back from a trip to Los Angeles because his sister's killed herself and it talks about a story from their childhood where she was on a ladder that broke and he desperately tried to rescue her it's a it's kind of a slice of life story um about falling out of touch with your family and regret it's not scary it's very sad. It's one of the... It, there's one more on here that I argue is more depressing than this, but this one's pretty, pretty fucking depressing. Yeah. Uh, and we should say, the interesting thing about it is, like, you pretty much spoiled it, but the fact that she committed suicide is a twist at the end, basically. You can see it coming, though. Yeah, you can see it coming, but it's, but I like it the way the story is told. And yeah, I, and there's a, I won't say how she commits suicide, because that is I think also adds to the twist of it. Um, it, I liked it. Yeah, it's um, actually you know what, first time reading it was like. Ah, this is decent, but second time, it's it's gone up. Yeah, I gave this I gave this a five out of five. Yeah, I think it's well worth your time to read. Um, and it shows that Stephen King can write more than just horror. Yeah, is this maybe the first singular story to show this? If you're going like by publication. Yes, although I don't think Rage is a very is a horror novel per se it's more of a suspense novel but this is more of a slice of life thing yeah which all of his books have elements of it but oh yeah this was you know really just focused only on that all right well shall we move on to wait i want to i want to check if it was made into something oh yeah that's a good idea yes uh, Dollar Baby in 1987. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Another one I've never seen. Yeah. 
now we move on to The Man Who Loved Flowers, which came out in Gallery, August of 1977. Dude's buying flowers for his love, his lover. And or it's is... a great day, and, and he's happy, and everyone is in a good mood. And then the other shoe drops, and that's that's all I'll say about that. Um, I liked it. Not a whole lot of substance to it, but yeah. it's very short. It's probably the shortest story in here. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, it was shocking. <laughs> very shocking. Um, I should have seen it coming, but didn't. Mm -hmm. What did you think? I can only agree. And I like how short it is. Like, this is a precise, like, punch right in your face. And and I love the story for it. So, yeah, this is another five out of five for me. All right. Now we move on to uh, One for the Road. Comes It came out uh, March slash April 1977 for Maine Magazine. Our pseudo sequel to Salem's Lot. Yeah. A man runs through a snowstorm into a bar. He needs help because his daughter and wife are trapped in their Mercedes in the burnt out town of Jerusalem's Lot. And if you know what Salem's Lot is, you know that that's a very bad thing. Mm hmm. And that's what all I'll say about that. We've talked about One for the Road before uh, when we did the Salem's Lot episode. Um, yeah. It's good. My opinions were pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's what should have ended this store, this collection, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Bringing it full circle. Yes. I get why he didn't, because he didn't want it bookended by Salem's Lot stories makes sense in that regard, but this is a strong one to go out on instead of the next one we have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. For this, I would say I really enjoyed it, One for the Road, and I would say it works pretty well as a standalone, like even if you don't know Salem's Lot. It's yes, it's creepy. There's some creepy visuals in it. Mm -hmm. uh, would you rate it? I gave it... A five out of five, actually. Okay. Moving on to the final one, previously unpublished. The Woman in the Room. A son is dealing with the fact that his mother's dying. And her quality of life is horrible, but she keeps existing. And so he weighs the options, and that's what that's about. It is the most depressing of all these. Um, it's good. It's not... I don't... Part of my issue with it is this is not how to end a book like this. Mm. It, it, you, I literally read this before bed last night, and I could not sleep because it was so flippin' depressing. It is just sad. Yeah. 
Because uh, probably there's many of you who can relate to this, where what happens when a, a loved one is terminally ill? And is it right to put them out of their misery? Um, and that's, that is something that's brought up in this. And it's, it's just depressing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I would, as a standalone short story, mm. it is really strong, I would say. Yes. And, but yeah, now that you put it like this, I can definitely see why putting it at the very end might be... It just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, with a book like this, you want to end with a fun horror story, with a fun shocker. Well, with with something, go out on a bang with a bang, like one for the road, is that would a be a great bang. way to end this. Or Children of the Corn would have been another good one to end it on. But like this, it's not very long, mm -hmm. but it's good. It's just not a not a great way of ending things. Uh, let me check. I gave it a 5 out of 5. Hmm. So looking at my ranking, the collection started out strong. Then it went pretty bad for a couple of stories, and then it really got up again. Yeah, there are a few stinkers in this. I mean, Night Surf's probably the, the absolute worst of these. Yeah. Uh, with Lawnmower Man in a close second. Mm -hmm. Um, like the Mangler and Graveyard Shift or Doofy stories, trucks, trucks, trucks works a little better than those two, in my opinion. This is where we'll be divided. <laughs> um, but like, there's a lot of really good ones, and this is probably the the number one work of his that's been adapted to film. Because with uh, the woman in the room, uh, what you said, Frank Darabont did a short for it. Oh yeah, I think that was Frank Darabont's first work with like Stephen King material. He did like a short film out of it. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, Night Shift is well worth your time to read. Mm -hmm. I think. Now, now an interesting question to end on is. And we will see this when we read all the rest, but people often say it's his best short story collection. I think it's his most concise. Mm. Um, I read this because I'm I'm starting to write again and write just I'm writing some short stories, and I looked at a lot of the reviews on um, Goodreads throughout the internet. I was just looking at reviews, and a lot of people that write like to read, like write horror, like to read Night Shift for inspiration. Mm -mm. Um, it's Young King. That's probably why people like it so much. Is it's Young King, where like something like Skeleton Crew feels bloated at times. Yeah. Or past midnight, nightmares and dreamscapes. There's a lot of things in those, and those are more novellas, and they're longer. Yeah, some of them. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between his short story collections and his novella collections. But sometimes he puts like really long novellas 
in the short story collections. Like The Mist? Like The Mist, which is like over... It's like 180 pages or something. It's almost a novel. Yeah. It's almost as long as Carrie. And he's just like, yeah, let's throw it in here. There's a baseball essay about like his his kid, Owen, his baseball team. He put that into Nightmares and Dreamscapes. <laughs> well, at that point, he could publish anything and it would be a bestseller. Yeah. He's still at that point. I mean, Sleeping Beauties came out. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Gwendy trilogy came out. I'd rather read Gwendy than Sleeping Beauties. At least Gwendy's short. Mm. And it's very rare now that you get a King story that's short. Yeah. I mean, we got later. That was nice and short. Well, his hard case uh, crime books are a different beast altogether. Yeah, his more regular novels. I mean, the next... The- the next one, I think it's like next month, right? Fairy Tale. Yeah, I'm excited for that. But I think that one's long too. Oh yeah, that's like 700 pages. Yeah, like I just started The Stand, which is our next one. Which is the one, that's the one everyone's like, it's too long. And it's like, isn't it like only a couple hundred pages shorter? Yeah. Than The Stand? Or, um... I'm trying to think of ones that felt long. Billy I mean, Summers felt long. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that eventually. But I mean, I mean Under the Dome. Mm-hmm. That's the the epitome of too long. Yeah, you got some pretty damn long books. But I mean, The Stand, you know how long the German version is? How long? 1,600 pages. Well, let me see. I got my copy of the uncut version here. Which actually, I have both versions here. This is the original. This is the abridged stand. This is an Mm. old book club edition from the late 70s. I don't know if it's a first edition or not. But this is the Barnes Noble exclusive. This is... God. 1,153 pages. Oh my god. Yeah. It's long. Under the Dome's longer. Um, Is it? Yeah, it's 1,200 pages, I think. I think it's about... Hmm. It's it's hard to say. I think it depends if you count the pages or the word count. Like, Well, also, long can be how it flows. Wolves of the Call Up, that's a long book, but it's an engagingly long book. Mm-hmm. Billy Summers, which is shorter than Wolves of the Call, is not nearly as engaging. Has interesting things in it, don't get me wrong. But the politicking. And a very, very, very long setup. Yes, that, that might be the longest setup he's ever written. Yeah. Or like, um, Insomnia's really long, but it's an engaging long book. Oh yeah, that's Just an underrated like, one. Just because a book, we'll get into this again probably with, when we review The Stand, which is the next episode, but a book's page count doesn't necessarily matter if it's engaging. Yeah. If it's not think- engaging, then it's it's absolute hell to read. This, this reminds me of a quote by Sergio Leone, because he said, movies are only long when they bore you. 
And yes. I think this can also be said about books. Yes. Um, anyway, um, go check out Night Shift. Let's get into some of these. Uh, we got a pile of questions in here to, to go through. Oh, one more thing I wanted to bring up. There is no audiobook. There's no unabridged audiobook of Night Shift. There are three short story abridged collections. And what I mean by abridged, it's not, it's the Night Shift book is abridged. The stories themselves aren't abridged. They're unabridged, but there'll only be a couple of them. And they almost all sound like they're still on cassette. So I'm going to go through some, some questions. Cody Sparks, have you gotten to the Dark Tower yet? No, and we probably won't this season because I think our this season stops with the Dead Zone. Which is, um, we're going to end with the last book of the 70s. So we're almost done with this season of King of Our Nightmares. I know there was a big hiatus in the middle of it, but we'll get there soon enough. We'll take a little bit of a hiatus because we have our Dune podcast that's coming back too. Oh boy! So, at the second Dune book end to stand, I mean Dune at least the next well, one. Oh, Dune Messiah is short. That's why yeah. I'm. This works. Well, I also have paper movies, and we're going to. I and think... I still have to finish um, Fate of the Jedi. Oh yeah, you're doing that. I keep forgetting that, and you keep telling me. Uh, I'm looking for uh, questions here. There are some down there. This was the one I was looking for. No, King can write better. Yeah, definitely. Denning has, I will say this, Troy Denning, get into the Star Wars a little bit here on our Stephen King podcast. Troy Denning has some great ideas. He, he knows the EU, which is why when he breaks continuity, it's really irritating. But he's, he got to start with West End Games. And he knows, he has a vast knowledge of the expanded universe, unlike certain people that are in charge of Star Wars now, cough, cough, Dave Filoni, who acts like he does. So... Anyway, the same with Steve Perry. Yeah, Shadows of the Empire is nowhere near as bad as... uh, If you've ever read Alien's Nightmare Asylum, that's got some weird sex things with the character that's not Newt because of copyright reasons. (laughs) So her name's Billy in that, which I'll be reviewing that pretty soon. This is a good one. Children of the Jedi is better than Children of the Core. <laughs> I wish you could find a way to flip the R, though. Um, I do. Uh, yes, I don't mind Children of the Jedi. There are things that are stupid compared to Planet of Twilight. But Planet of Twilight has a dark Jedi hut. That is Leia. funny. Children of the Jedi just. It's fine. It's not the worst Bantam book. Wait till you reread it. You just wait. Try Uh, to read it again. All right, here we go. 
Are you going to read the complete uncut edition? I'm doing both. I've done my read of the uh, uh, cut edition. And I just started the uncut today listening to it. Because I've never listened to the stand before. So, yeah. I'm two hours in out of the 47-hour audiobook. You are really going all out on this one. Yeah, there's some things I want to compare and contrast. Yes. So Which far, will be interesting, since there, I've never read the uh, abridged one. There's an early confrontation between Franny and her mother that's cut. Mm-hmm. That I, now reading the uncut version, I can't believe it was cut. But yeah. I think that's going to be your opinion for most of this stuff. Oh yeah, because I, I appreciate when Stephen King gets out of the... <laughs> I was just making a point. Under the Dome is fine. It's fine. It's a lot. If you're, if you're, what I was getting at is that under, no one talks about Under the Dome being too long, but everyone complains that the stand is too long. For those people that don't like it. But I think most people at this point love the stand. Oh, definitely. Most people do. Because I remember getting, like, shit on when I criticized it. Yeah, those fans are vicious. I will say this, for because it's going to be a long time before we get to Wolves of the Kala. What could have made Wolves of the Kala better is more Jericho Hill. Hmm. But I don't know how you would work it in. There's a little bit of Jericho Hill in there. It's the only time they talk about Jericho Hill. Which is a shame. Which is a shame. I mean, unless King finally actually writes the next Dark Tower book, like he promised. Yes. Yes, not this season. Next season we'll handle that. I'm very hesitant on it. Um, Because unless you're Matt Wilkins, a lot of people hate them. Um, are you excited to read more Kevin J. Anderson? You're not a Kevin J. Anderson person. I I like Kevin J. Anderson. Not the I like more of his comic book writing than his novel writing, but he's fine. Do I have to read his Dune books? Yeah, we'll we'll read them like next year. Okay, you got I've, a year to prep. So much else to read. Yes. Um, let's see. Do we have some more? Some more comments? Yeah, well, also, he was rushing those last three Dark Tower books out. That's, I mean, he, the last one was supposed to be his last novel. Like, ever. Well, and we know how this turned out. You'll find as we go through the Dune books that Brian Herbert really doesn't do anything. It's like if you read Dragonlance, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, Margaret Weiss writes those books for the most part. Tracy Hickman's an idea man, and I think that's it. 
For instance, there's a Dragonlance trilogy that's just written by Margaret Weiss, and it feels like all the other ones in its writing style. So, anyway. <laughs> all right. And I think that's where we'll end it there with Brian Herbert. I'd argue it's worse from Cody Sparks. Fair enough. And that's what <laughs> Magneto Alex said. <laughs> Anyway, I'm so glad you all tuned in with us for King of Our Nightmares. Thank you all for, for coming on. Noah, thank you for coming on at such short notice. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we'll see you all next time with The Stand. Goodbye. Bye.